Welcome to an Impact Ministries production, brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self-development program that changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hey, I'm Jim Richards. I want to welcome you to message number eight in this series on Mystery Babylon. Now, man, I got so much I want to cover it. I just got to jump right into this today. Now, uh, we're talking about portal to the gods. And you have to understand that Babylon, which is the city from which the great harlot gets her name, she is called Mystery Babylon. Now, like I've said before, there are a lot of people, and they may be right. They're, they're trying to figure out if there's one particular city in the world from that gives us the location of Mystery Babylon. I don't think it's any one particular city because it's a mystery. I think it's a, a spiritual influence that works in all of the financial centers of the world. And as we've talked about all through this, the power of Mystery Babylon is that it works around the economy. And the kings of the earth, the leaders of the world, are able to seduce people and get people to make all manner of compromises as long as they keep the economy rolling. And, and so this is the power of Mystery Babylon. But along with this, uh, we've got to remember that Mystery Babylon isn't just an economic factor, that this is a Luciferian-based religion. And it's all about accomplishing the goals of Lucifer himself, who rebelled in heaven, who declared war against God, and who, who uh, invaded the Garden of Eden and brought sin into the world and has always sought to destroy man. He can't destroy God. He can't win the battle against God. And really, he can't willfully destroy man. He can only deceive man. And so this is why the Bible says that the love of money is the root of all manner of evil, because this is the primary seduction, money and power, that is used to destroy believers and get them to compromise their life. Now, you might, you might say, well, why did you call this the portal to the gods? We know that the Bible indicates that there are portals in different places in the earth. And at these portals, these were the places where the angels who rebelled in heaven, this is where they crossed over from heaven to earth. For example, one of the most well-known places of one of these portals was in uh, is in Caesarea Philippi. Now, by the way, this is where Jesus taught about about how that we as believers have authority, and the gates of hell cannot prevail against us. Well, why did he choose that particular message in that particular place? Well, because this was considered not just a portal where where uh, fallen angels crossed over, but this was also considered the portal into Hades. Whether that's true or not, I don't know, but that's basically the way the way it was viewed in Bible times by you know by people who were following God. Now, what's interesting about Caesarea Philippi is this was the place where Baal worship originated. This this is the center of Baal worship, which was the number one idolatry that opposed and 
and tormented the, the Israelites uh, un, un, until they finally were, were driven out of their country. Now, as far as we can tell, the earliest pyramids, the various pyramids, were not actually just tombs for the pharaohs. But you have to understand, the purpose of a tomb for a pharaoh uh, is not just to provide a burial site. If it was just a burial site, they would not have built these elaborate uh, pyramids with all of these mystical uh, channels and, and all of these mystical artifacts within them. Actually, the pyramids were to serve as portals whereby when the pharaoh died and when he was placed in the pyramid, he would actually experience a, a, a passing from here to uh, the heavens. And that, this didn't really happen. This was, their, this was their pagan belief where the pharaoh would then become the current sun god. And so... The pyramids, they were portals. They were not just, just burial places. Now, what's interesting about this is that every, I think every continent in the world has some form of a pyramid, a ziggurat, a tower, uh, or something. And uh, there's all types of, of, of ways that these things are aligned with certain stars and all this kind of stuff. I'm not going to go into all that now. You can do your own research and find out about it. But the, the, the predominant belief is that not only were these, some of these were portals where, where fallen angels crossed over, but more than that, they were portals where the Nephilim could, could pass through a dimension. And so they could go, say, from Egypt to uh, South America and from South America to some other country. In other words, they could move around the world in these portals because these portals created the way for them to enter into different dimensions. Now, Babylon, of course, is the most noted place, and it's the one place that the Bible goes into depth to explain uh, what this portal, what this tower was, was all about. And really, uh, the Tower of Babel was really more like a ziggurat than it was, than it was like a tower. The the pictures that we see in, in Sunday school literature really do not uh, accurately depict the Tower of Babel. Now, the Tower of Babel uh, was erected there uh, close to Babylon, and, and Babylon was the first Antichrist kingdom in the world. And actually, Nimrod ruled pretty much all of the civilized, or not civilized, but all, all of the known world at that time. Now the Tower of Babel was was the was the edifice and the source of mystical power where they put their hope and their security and really which made them believe that they would be able to defy God and be protected from the power of God. Now one of the greatest things we learn from Mystery Babylon is that we have this one time when all the people of the world spoke one language they came together in unity and with one purpose, and they, they, they brought about the greatest power that had ever been to oppose God. Well, that's what the Antichrist is going to do at the end times. And I'm telling you, if you read Psalm 2, you discover that the Antichrist is ultimately going to lead the world, not just in a, in a war uh, against Christians and Jews, 
but the Antichrist is going to leave the world in a war against the Messiah, which he knows he can't be won. Uh, it's just it's just for the sake of destroying people, deceiving and destroying people. So when we look and see how that God delivered the world from the power of Nimrod and the and and the the mystical powers of the Tower of Babel, then we look to the Book of Revelation. And go, you know what? This is covered. God God's taking care of this. Now, so on the the forehead of this great harlot that we read about in Revelation 17.5, it was written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of abominations of the earth. Now, the fact that Mystery Babylon is identified as a personal entity, the mother of harlots and abominations, again, is where I get another indicator that this is not necessarily speaking of a specific city. Now, Yes, there's a lot of stuff in Revelation 17 that 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 makes it sound like it is, but we can we can get into that and we can understand that, but we don't we don't have time to do this in this in this message right now. I will do this in some subsequent messages, or you can go to Impact International School of Ministry and you can take my uh uh my eschatology course where you can learn all about Daniel's prophecies and the book of Revelation, how they all fit together and they're not nearly as mystical as you think they are once you uh, use scripture to to interpret scripture. But uh, I don't doubt that as we get to the end of the time, remember, uh, Saddam Hussein was rebuilding the city of Babylon and uh, was well on his way to rebuilding it. And he was planning on ruling the world from the, from the actual city of Babylon. And even though there's prophecies about Babylon being totally destroyed, it is a mistaken thought that Babylon has been totally destroyed because Babylon has never been uninhabited. Uh, they were destroyed. They lost Babylon lost its influence. But anyhow, I wouldn't doubt if, if the city of Babylon is rebuilt and the Antichrist tries to turn that into uh, the home base for his kingdom. May not. I don't. I really don't know. But it really doesn't matter because that city itself is not in of itself mystery Babylon. Mystery Babylon is this is this demonic being that's called the mother of all harlots and the mother of all abominations of the earth. So now, now here, here's the amazing thing: every every cult, every occult, every pagan religion, every form of idolatry, every everything that disagrees with scripture, every concept that ever disagrees with scripture, every Every false scientific fact that seems to disagree with Scripture, actually, all of it has its roots in mystery Babylon, which tells you this cannot be just an individual city. But anyhow, by understanding Babylon and the source of their demonic power, we can understand some of the factors about the final Antichrist. Now, Genesis 11:1 says the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. Now, very important that you understand that speech, learning a language actually affects the way your brain works. So when all people spoke one language, that all people had a tendency to think the same way. Their brains actually work the same way. Now, there will never be the unity of language uh, on planet Earth again, the way there was at Babel. But what we do have today through socialism is, socialism is not requiring everyone to speak the same language, but socialism 
is trying to get everyone into agreement as far as as, as far as what's the right thing to say, what's the wrong thing to say, political correctness, all these things. Because once you change the language, once you redefine words, you have control to some degree of how people's minds, how their brains actually work. So, uh, uh, and we also want to touch base with the concept. We know that the key of, to harmony, groups of people harmonizing, can create influences here on planet Earth that seem to be supernatural. They're not, but they seem to be. God created us. He gave us authority here. And we can use that authority for good. We can use that authority for evil. In Matthew 18, it talks about if two, two of you agree on earth concerning or touching anything that they ask, it'll be done for them. Now, what's interesting is, first of all, that word agree comes the word, from the word symphony. And a better interpretation of that is to harmonize. That's what a symphony does. A lot of different instruments playing a lot of different notes all at the same time, but all of those notes harmonize. There is a power in harmonizing. And in fact, one of the concepts of righteousness that will help you understand righteousness better than anything is harmonizing with God. And uh, uh, I've, got some new, I've got some new teaching that I'm going to be releasing on that real soon, even though I've talked about this for years. So, but I want you to understand this harmonizing, we get the idea that if we can just get a, a bunch of people at the same time to pray about something, that this will somehow move God different than the prayers of one individual. That is number one, that's not what the scriptures say. Number two, that can't be so because God is sovereign. Sovereignty doesn't mean God's in control of everything. God sovereignty doesn't mean that God can do anything he wants to, violate his word, lie, and all that kind of stuff. Sovereignty means that God cannot be acted upon by an outside source. And so that there is no, we can't get enough people together to create enough pressure to force God into answering a prayer or force God in or pressure God into doing anything. In fact, as nearly as I can tell in context, this verse is talking about when people come together and when we harmonize with God or we harmonize with what God has already established in heaven. That's what using authority is. That's what the keys of the kingdom are about is that when we know what has been established in heaven, and when we harmonize what's happened in our life with heaven, we do that with harmony. We, we say, okay, what, what did God declare legal? And that's happening in my life or not happening in my life? Okay, I'm going to declare it legal for this to start happening in my life. And if there's something happening in my life that through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus has been declared illegal, then I'm going to say, nope, that's illegal. You can't happen in my life. And that's what authority is, is based primarily on harmony. Now, Genesis 11, 3, 3 through 4 says, So they said to one another, Go to, let us make brick, and let us burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. Now, what's really interesting is many of your Hebrew scholars say that this was the first uh, expression of socialism in the Bible. Now, bricks speak of conformity. All of the bricks were made to conform. They were made to look alike. They were the same dimensions. They were the, they were the same shape. Now, one of the things that the Bible uh, uh, forbade us to do was to ever build an altar to God out of bricks. It had to be made out of stones. The Bible doesn't say in the New Testament that we are, that, you know, that we are living bricks for God. It says we're living stones. 
And the concepts of stones, and this is so important to God, is that uh, stones are all individual. They have their individual shape. They have their individual size. They can be used for different things. And that's that's what the human race is supposed to be, uh, individuals fitting together and every person being who they want to be and every person every person giving their self and pursuing the things that they want to pursue. The opposite of that is socialism, where it says, no, we're going to make you all bricks and we're going to make you all think alike. We're going to make you all talk alike. And uh, so it's actually a way of creating a false unity. Now, unity and uniformity is not the same thing. And so when people are controlling other people's behavior or forcing other people to uh, 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 use the same terminology, use the same words, uh, pretend like they believe the same thing, march in a line, that's uniformity. That is all external. Unity is something that happens internally, and it has to do with us agreeing with God, not us agreeing with each other. So verse 4 says, they said, uh, let's build a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven, and let's make a name lest we be scattered abroad on the face of the earth. Now, in Sunday school, kids are taught that they built this tower to try to make it so tall that even if God flooded the earth again, that they would be able to escape the flood by going up in this tower. Well, that's, you know, that's a Sunday school myth. Uh, number one, uh, the tower was not big enough to actually uh, be able to sustain that many people going up in the tower to escape a flood. Number two, they built it down in a valley. They didn't build it up on a hill or on a mountain. So this is not talking about trying to build tall enough to reach into heaven. They were not that naive. Uh, this concept of reaching into heaven uh, is actually talking about a portal that makes it possible for them to connect with the gods. The tower was a gate into the heavens, access uh, access to the gods that they worshipped. And, uh, and so the Tower of Babel uh, was supposed to be the, the place they were going to put all their hope, just like in the future. Everybody's going to put their hope in the Antichrist. Everybody's going to put their hope in the Antichrist and the government that he creates to actually rule the world. Uh, but I'm telling you, you don't have to be afraid. Jesus himself is going to come back, is going to conquer the Antichrist and his armies. And we, we, the body of Christ, the church, we are going to meet him in the air through what the Bible, or through what is called the rapture. Now, the word rapture is not in the Bible. Uh, that is taken from uh, a Greek word that's translated into Latin. But the concept of the rapture absolutely is in the Bible, and it's, it's uh, expressed through typology in the Old Testament, and it's, it's straightforward taught in the New Testament. We will we will be delivered from the wickedness of this world, and uh, again we look back to to Babel and what happened here, how that God delivered um, the earth from the influence of these wicked people, and then He scattered them abroad. You say, well, well, why did He scatter them? Well, there was a lot of reasons. Remember, God always told the people to go out and fill the earth and to be fruitful and to multiply. Well. We've minimized being fruitful and multiplying to nothing more than just having a lot of kids. Uh, that is not the way the Hebrews viewed that concept. They viewed that concept as going out and being successful, being fruitful in every way, multiplying, not just in children. Now, remember, children were considered a source of wealth 
uh, in the ancient world. But but this wasn't just wealth as far as having big families and have a bunch of people to work your, your fields for you. This this was wealth in every way. And really, uh, some of the some of the uh, Hebrew scholars that, that I read, they say that basically God was saying, go out in the world and find that place that feels right to you. Go out and find that place where you can succeed at your dreams. And, and, and God wanted people to know that he supported their desire to succeed and that walk, walking with him was going to be the way for them to have the greatest success that they could ever have in their life. Now, the Tower of Babel, and I'm touching on a whole lot of things here. Uh, the Tower of Babel is where we have the perversion of the Zodiac. Uh, you know, the Bible says in creation that the stars were given for a point for seasons, and that word seasons means appointed times. And so there's all kinds of things related to the positions of the stars that re, that reveal appointed times that things are going to happen. After all, that that's how Nimrod, by having his uh, astrologers read the stars, that's how they were able to understand that a deliverer was coming uh, was coming to overthrow Nimrod's kingdom. And that we know that deliverer was Abraham. And we know that Jesus, uh, there was the, uh, um, the astrologers in, uh, uh, in Babylon actually uh, came, or excuse me, not Babylon, but, but the astrologers came uh, that had probably been trained in Babylon. And they understood that the Messiah had come by actually knowing how to read the stars and a Jewish history teaches us that it was Daniel that taught them what to look for and how to understand the stars. But in Job 38, 32, it says, can you bring about the Maseroth in its season? Now, the, the Maseroth uh, by some people is translated as constellations. Now, originally, before there was a written word of God, uh, what we call the Zodiac, God called the Maseroth. And in the Maseroth, uh, instead of these perverted symbols of the Zodiac, we had the entire story uh, starting in the book of Genesis, going through, uh, going through the fall of man, going through a Savior coming, the Savior dying, the Savior being raised from the dead, the Savior coming the second time. And so for the first 2,500 years of human history, it was passed down, and these are people that lived to be six, eight hundred, up to nine hundred years old. And so they were looking at these stars every single night, and none of them were blacked out or, or were blocked out by streetlights. And so every time they looked at the different constellations, they not only understood what season it was as far as the natural seasons, they every time they looked into the skies, they saw the gospel story for twenty five hundred years. But it was here at the Tower of Babel that the Maseroth became twisted into the Zodiac, and it became something that you would use to read your future and the way that it, that it is now. And so they thought by gathering themselves together, they could rebel against God. Remember, that's what Nimrod's name meant, is to rebel. They could rebel against God, and they were not going to go out into the world because they didn't believe God's promise that he would never destroy the world by water again. And so they, they can never find their destiny in the earth. And so they felt like if they could stay there and be one through the mass unity of the people, 
that uh, that they would actually be able to create create a mystical force. Now, listen, there are so many secret organizations in the world in America right now uh, that uh, th- and they believe that they can create a unity that eventually will be powerful enough to resist God, to uh, to declare war against the Messiah and take planet Earth over for evil instead of for good. Now, Genesis 11, 6, I've got to hurry, man. I'm, I know I'm just scooting through this. Listen, we could spend an hour easily on every one of these verses. 11, uh, Genesis 11, 6 says, And the Lord said, Behold, the people are one, and they have one language, and this they began to do, and now nothing can be restrained from them which they have imagined. Now, Every time that God has done something that has just been phenomenally, uh, seemed phenomenally brutal, it was always because wickedness had reached a place where uh, not only would mankind be destroyed, but the way of salvation would have been destroyed. You know, when the Nephilim came, this was a direct attack. Uh, on the bloodline. Well, when the fallen angels came and started being involved with the with the daughters of men, this was a, an attack on the bloodline because it was the seed of woman that was going to bring forth the Messiah that would ultimately crush the head of the serpent and deliver us from the sin that he brought into the world. So the flood, as far as we can understand, the Bible says that Noah was perfect in his in his generations. Well, that word generations is genealogy. So as far as we can understand, there were only eight people alive at the time of the flood that that have a pure bloodline. Now, there may have been others that were wicked that died in the flood, but as far as those who were going to follow God, there were, there were, the salvation of the world came down to eight people. So the flood was, was not God just expressing just incredible vengeance. The flood was God saying, okay, you know, uh, the humans who had authority in earth and didn't use it for godly purposes, you have let this reach a place of utter destruction. This happened again uh, with Nimrod, and this will happen again with the Antichrist. Jesus will return because the wickedness in the world will grow to such that honestly, no flesh will survive unless Jesus himself intervenes. Now, I tell you, there's a lot of people that teach that the church is going to be the one that's going to rise up and going to going to take over the world. Let me let me tell you, the church can't even get along with itself, much less come into enough unity to save the world. But the Bible clearly states that it will be Jesus Himself who comes back and does this, and we, the body of Christ, will be raptured, and uh, um, Israel, in the process of this, will turn to the Messiah. They will repent of the fact that they that they crucified him, and uh, then Jesus will return, overthrow the Antichrist and his armies, and set up his kingdom called the millennium, and for a thousand years, Jesus is going to rule and reign. So I want you to know, the devil has given the best that he had, and God's people always win. He, he, you know, he brought the Nephilim, and the children of Israel drove the Nephilim out of Canaan, and they eventually had to go into other parts of the world. God always wins. We want to look to that. No matter how wicked the world is, our hope is always going to be in Jesus and the fact that he's going. Listen, if you're interested in this stuff, be sure and get my book called uh, uh, Apocalypse. 
and check out my website, drjimrichards.com or impactministries.com. I got, I've got thousands of free videos that you can watch about anything from, from the end times all the way through to have a, how to have a great marriage. So be sure and tell all your friends about this, share this with people, and I'll talk to you again next week. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Impact Ministries World Changers Podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website from previous broadcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.